Hello, and welcome to the Talking Crit Podcast. We have our normal host, Bad Mike from North Texas RPG Con, myself, Eric Tenkar, and our special guest of Benchley Dale Academy, Tim Connolly. Tim, welcome. Of course, I, spell, I spelled your name Tin on the uh, 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 on yes, everything. Yes, you did. That yes, was very and, cute. and of Thank course, uh, and that's because whenever I would type out Tim Shorts, it was always Time Short. So I I made sure I didn't put an E at the end. I just couldn't apparently get the other letters right. Sure, yes, please, you did. And a Texan walk into a bar. It, only troubles, only troubles will be had. Only troubles. So, uh, you know, you know that you said that it's odd because a lot of my good friends over the past year, uh, past few decades, are t New Yorkers, and that's because I figure that of all the states in the United States, Texans and New Yorkers have the most bradashio. I mean, they're we're the, you know, we, the, I had a friend who came from England, and he said one thing I really like about the United States is is that. You really like your state. I mean, Texans yeah. are really into their state. I said, well, that's only in the case of Texans and New Yorkers. Everybody else bitches all the time. But Texans and New Yorkers, we we do. We go nuts about our state. He goes, Yeah, that's really cool because and you know, in England where I'm from, everybody hates their city or they hate where they're from. But you just are really into being Texan. I was like, Well, meet a New Yorker sometime because they're really into being New Yorkers also. So which, which, which is strange because we'll bitch about New York. I mean, oh yeah, that's well, okay. If but, you bitch about your own state, yeah. Yeah, but we are we are certainly proud of to be in New York. It, it, it took a badge of honor, you know. I, I I grew up in New York, and all I got was uh, well years of misery, but here we are. So normally, one of the first topics of the week would be uh, you know the whole thing of what did Jesus do or what would Jesus do. Usually for us, it was what would Voices of the Coast have done in the past week? What is their latest fuck up? And uh, to be honest, uh, apparently they've, and maybe the Thanksgiving holiday kept them uh, nice and quiet, kept the courts closed. Because, uh, I mean, they've been good enough to get lawsuits going in the midst of COVID. So <laughs> that, that takes a very special, special uh, company to do that. But, and of course, you know, the format for this is pretty much a hex crawl. So we don't really come in with a preordained set of things that we need to touch upon. But Tim is our special guest. And uh, as, as I mentioned right before we came into this podcast, Tim holds special recognition uh, for me of being the individual that brought me back to face-to-face -face gaming that wasn't at a convention, that wasn't pickup gaming, that was returning gaming. And uh, I'll tell you the truth, it, 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 it scared the hell out of me when you reached out to me uh, uh, about coming out to Long Island to to join the established Benchleydale group. Why is that? Why is that? Well, uh, again, besides the fact that I hadn't uh, gained face-to-face -face at Sweden Cons uh, since 1997. Um, oh. it, so we're, we're talking about 20 years when you mm -hmm. reached out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was uh, a little, little nerve-wracking. But and, it was cool, though. Oh, it was very cool. It was an amazing uh, group of bizarre individuals, and I say that in the nicest way. These are people I would have been very happy to have hung out in a bar with and shared drinks with. Uh, and, and some 
didn't we have somebody who drove from New Jersey every day to go out to Long Island? Well, every other yes, week. Indeed. That was my buddy Tom McTagg, who I had begun playing D&D &D with in 1981. And he had stayed with me through all these years. And it's been great to see some of the older folks still come out, even from New Jersey. Yeah. I mean, I, and then, I mean, I used to bitch and complain. I'm coming from Queens. And for me, it was an hour and a half drive because if you don't live in New York, uh, Long Island Expressway, Northern Parkway is just... Uh, I know, I know. It's, not, it's not as bad as I guess the uh, highways in LA, but it's, it's fucking, bad though. It's fucking miserable if you're driving, if you're if you're driving east in the rush hour, and uh, it was always always worth the trip. So I, I I I do miss our games. Thank you. It was fun having you with us. Well, you know, I got to uh, play a cleric, which uh, I, I I never really played as a player much in uh, AD and D money. I was always the GM, always mm -hmm. the bridesmaid, never the bride, or I guess I was always the bride, never the bridesmaid. But mm -hmm. it was it was nice to to be on the other side of the screen. It is nice, and we got a chance to enjoy the classic TSR WG five adventure module, Morden Caden's fantastic adventure. You know, I'll be honest with you, I. Never really was concerned about what adventure we were playing because I figured if I was concerned about what it was, I'd have to go back and read it because they're all in my collection. So I was like, I don't even want. I I know, I I know it's one of the world of Greyhawk adventures. I could probably figure out which one. I don't. It's like suspending my suspending disbelief while watching a cop movie. I didn't want to get too deep into it because then I'd be like, that was like Rob Coot. You know, Rob Coots was. A great idea, man. A great writer when he could be bothered to actually finish stuff, and so that's a uh, that's a really that's his Mar Castle, and it's actually I've run that many times. I, I love that adventure. That's a that's oh a god, one. I love that adventure, and I love all the extra stuff that Rob did later on. We can find bits yep. and pieces to extend it even further, such as the Chambers of Antiquities, which didn't exist in the original yeah, module. He, he did some. Um, there's Dungeon Magazine. Dungeon Magazine. He did some extra adventures over the years, and they I think were they were for 3.0, but they're easily converted to. Uh, oh yeah. Editions, so. Oh, very simply, some people get turned off by the prospect of having to convert from newer to older, but it's really not hard. No, no. Uh, we discussed this before because we were talking about uh, Pathfinder. There's a Pathfinder One E Humble Bundle up, and I mean it's ridiculous. It's a Monster Humble Bundle. Uh, eighteen dollars gets you twenty nine books, and Incredible. would I want to convert it to five e? No, no, because that, that I'm sure requires a lot of work. But I, I mean, I've taken DCC and five e stuff and converted on a fly of the swords and wizardry. Uh, there's no reason why you can't take anything that's Pathfinder. Uh, take your I don't know virtual pen. And cross out ninety-five percent of the stat block, and what you are left with is OSR. And just you know, we talk about crunch and flush, uh, crunch and fluff, flush. Jeez, uh, fluff. Yeah. I mean, the, the fluff. You use that flavor text, man. That that's what it's there for. That's then besides, that's what the OSR thrives on. When we were gaming uh, out in Long Island, it was the role play, uh, the stuff that wasn't the books themselves, but what we were adding to them that made the game so special. So. Yeah. 
I do like the aspect of role play and <clears throat> we've taken it a step further these days at Ben Schlidale Academy where we now invite special guests in from time to time just to role play as NPCs. So we're not going to roll up characters for you and spend all this time doing that. Just come and be this character, know a little bit about them and why they're there. And if it's, you know, if it's based on um, Mr. Cotter from Welcome Back Cotter, or if it's based on Barbarino from the same show, okay, fine. You'll get a little paragraph on what he's all about, and then you'll just come on in and role play him when you are called upon. We pride ourselves at the Academy of, uh, of sharpening the acumen of players' improvisational spontaneity skills. Okay, I've already gone for Horseshack myself. Mr. Carter! Mr. See, now that would be a great NPC. <laughs> so if you're free on Sunday, December 20th, and you want to come you go. play as the 1E equivalent of Horseshack, you let me oh, know. Oh, jeez. That's evil, man. That's, don't that don't tempt me, man. Just, you know, that's okay. I so, don't want to get you in trouble. Well, I don't know if you get me in trouble necessarily. <laughs> I don't want to get you in trouble. So, so before we get too far in this, now I, I, I was actually made aware of Benchley Dale and Beyond back when you first started, Tim. And I always thought it was just a, just the coolest idea, because now, now correct me when I'm wrong when I go off, and I'm not right here. But Benchley Dale is basically it's a setting that has everything in it, like basically any first edition module or anything you want to put in it is in that setting. So if you want to do the Giants, there's a place you can, the, the Giants series is there. If you want to go to Saltmarsh, Saltmarsh, the uh, UK one is over here. Um, if you want to do, uh, I mean, I, you do second edition stuff too, right? So, I mean, is, is I mean, would Under Mountain be somewhere on there too? So basically anything that can be put in there is, is in there and you could travel there and, and basically that way every, classic ADD models there you can but you get to run it in your own personal you know world that's right every classic ADD module except for the a series the Ugh. slavery series no slavery series is that the slavery series is being saved for a very special map and eric has seen the, what the maps look like yes a very special map number 14 we have 14 maps that when you interconnect them, it creates more than 180,000 square miles of adventure area where you can go and explore more than 100 classic TSR and Judges Guild and Rolades and other third-party publishers from the 1970s, from 1977 really, onwards to 1989. So from 77 to 89, you have the classic first edition AD&D years. Right? right? Everything in that time frame, if you could think of it, it's probably in the Bench Lit Allen Bay on Sandbox. Luke Gygax and I co-created that. And then Keith Baker was brought in as a co-creator too, which was a lot of fun. Um, we were coming up with all sorts of ideas. Okay, let's put the Tomb of Horrors over here. Okay, let's put Thieves of Fortress Batabasco over here. Let's put let's oh, put Judges dark, dark towers yeah. over here. You know. Also, uh, another thing about Judges Guild, City State of the Invincible Overlord is not in the sandbox either. So <clears throat> that is omitted. And the the A series, the Slaver series from TSR, are the uh, the biggest, most glaring omissions from Bench the Dale and Beyond, and for no other reason than saving them for special yeah. map number nice. fourteen that I'm drawing. And so we finally will usher them in, and at last the circle will be complete. Well, I, I always thought it was a great idea because that's 
pretty much that's what I did with my own campaign world. Is I liked running classic adventures, but I. I mean, I know this is heresy, but I really was never that much into the world of Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms. I, That's I mean, not heresy. They were interesting. I liked them, but I liked my own world a lot more. And I, and I liked to, I had a concept of my own world. And I would, what I would try to do is bend these modules to my own concept. And my concept is I have a, it's a world of islands, basically. There's a lot of ocean, a lot of travel. There was a catacombs. Yeah, a lot of archipelagos, stuff like that. And, and trade, you know, there's a lot of isolated societies, a lot, but there's one big kingdom that does a lot of exploring. So I would fit these modules into my, my campaign world. I mean, it's fun to run them in Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms, but it's also a challenge to put it in your own campaign world. So when you first came out with this, I thought, that's what I've been doing for years. And that is the coolest thing ever. I always thought that's a great idea because if somebody, I, I, you know, I ran the giant series in that world once. It was great. We had a, we had a wonderful time. As a matter of fact, uh, we ran, um, we did T, T one through four temple of um, nice. evil, but we did it as an island hopping, like Hong oh, really? was on one island, and then they had to go to the temple, and nice. then another island. Then they went down below the temple, and that actually led into uh, Night Below box set, which is a second box set. So I would, I always did that. So I thought that's cool. I don't know why more people don't do that because it just seems like such an interesting concept. Instead of using cut and dried campaign world just use your own campaign world and, and, and make it uh, you know make it your own make all these individual classic modules your own there's nothing stopping you unless you're trying to make a buck which i'm not and that right. sets me apart i think from a lot of other folks in the in the industry um, i'm very underground and in fact another thing about bench Lidale academy is it's very nsfw and our adventures are NSFW. And every time a YouTube actual play video goes up of us, you always have to click. Are you 18 or older? Yes. <laughs> um, because that is how we roll here. And that's a turnoff for a lot of folks. I'll be honest with you. Um, a lot of people are quick to um, not want to have anything to do with us, really, because of our NSFW nature. And um, But whatever. We're just well, being ourselves. If they're watching this live stream or... Uh, well, you're adults. Yeah, you're just being adults. To the podcast, they know I got a potty mouth. Holy fuck. Nothing you know, wrong with that. I mean, I, that's what I say. Yeah. But you know how people are. Uh, I, no, I know. But listen, at the same time, I remember how the games were out in Long Island. And uh, to be honest with you, you walked in the door to our... And it's a good thing they kept us in a segregated room. Yeah, so good room. We could close the door. Only people walking to the bathroom went 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 past us. <laughs> but uh, because the games reminded me of uh, actually the virtual games that we used to run, roll on uh, play with on Roll Twenty with my regular Saturday night group, which were uh, not safe for work, and uh, if they were put out there on YouTube. Uh, might have jeopardized the employment of, of more than one individual only because we were, I don't want to say acting immature, but we were we were letting our hair down, uh, possibly our pants, and just, uh, you know, having a grand old fucking time. And, and I really think that's the way it should be. You, there's something that you can't do at conventions, but you can do in certain groups settings, especially when people, no, I'm not saying, I'm not comparing this to that convention game where you have to like, I, I know there's some convention uh, game that's run by some people where you have to like, I don't know, like sign like a permission slip before you go in that you basically won't 
won't uh, uh, make any criminal or civil complaints against those that are running it because apparently it is a way over the top sexual uh, uh, sexualized thing. Mm. I, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's not it. I'm just saying that you know, if you were politically correct, you you would you would be very offended by some of the game sessions I participate in. I'm not saying by me, just in general. Because sure. look to take offense, going to find it, find offense in groups that uh, uh, let their inhibitions go and just act like they're goofing around with uh, a bunch of friends, and that's and that's that's something very special. I'll tell you the truth. So, so I have a story here because it's just I, I just like to tell old stories, and that's what I do is I ramble. But um, the first um, female that ever played in our campaign was the girlfriend of a friend. And it turned out he really wasn't into it too much. And he left and she stayed and played with us for about two or three years. And she had an elven archer or some kind of archer character. And we were always very, this is not like 1980, 81. So, you know, we, and, I, and we've talked about this before, Eric, I mean, we didn't have a lot of girls. I know you had no. more girls. We, we didn't have a lot of girls play in our play D and D or even want to play D and D or interested. So we were always very respectful around here and just kind of, when she would play in sessions, we'd kind of keep the, you know, keep the language, you know, PG and, you know, and try to, and try not to make her uncomfortable and so one session i think we we're playing the slave lords actually and she was rolling and she was like miss one three i mean everything was a miss miss and she finally said fuck and she's like oh oh can i, can I say that here and we're like oh we're so glad you did because we yeah. haven't been saying it for a while because we didn't know if you're okay with that she's like oh no i I curse all the time. I've been not saying anything because I didn't want y'all to think anything bad about me. We're like, no, just let the fucks flow. If you oh, roll a one, yeah. you can fuck all over. Them. You just say whatever. So that was funny because we were just all, oh, she said fuck. Yes, <laughs> we can do that. We can curse too. We can all cuss now. Everybody cuss. I uh, see. I got in trouble for making a, a, a joke about oral sex uh, at a, at a a game, I guess we were 18, no, 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 Just task. no, no, but I got, I got in trouble in my, and I didn't know at the time, my, my friend's girlfriend, she used to come to the games a lot and she'd play, I don't think she was really into it, but we, we took a break to go do a food run and uh, we left through our base, the basement door, come out, I'm like, I was always the last, I'm the DM, so I'm always the last one out, make sure everybody else is, and as I turn into the alleyway, slap, right, I never been slapped before by, by a, a woman. I was like, "What? I'm like, what the hell is that for?" That's shocking. You disgusting. I go, "What? <laughs> you? You watched?" They went, "I." W I go, "Oh my god!" At the, at the SOD concert, that's what was going on. <laughs> and then, Dave, my, sorry, Dave, I just gave you up there. Um, and Dave's just like, he didn't know. Well, go well, now. I know. Oh, that's that's. Uh, I was like. I'll take a slap for that any day. Finding out information I should never have known. Was the joke in poor taste? Of course it was. Uh, but did I'm you no say SOD concert? I'm so shocked. Yeah. yeah. You got, the best way to get information you're not supposed to know. Jeez. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess we were not safe for work even back in my, uh, my late teens. <laughs> hey, listen. Frank Zappa once told me that, hey, well, it was in the 20th century when he said it, obviously. He said, hey, it's the 20th century, so whatever it takes to have a good time, let's get on with it as long as it doesn't cause a murder. Thanks, Frank. 
There you go. That was all the advice I needed. <laughs> and we do have fun. That covers I a know. lot of territory, too. That's awesome. Words to live by. <laughs> yes, indeed. Words to live by. Yeah, try. Um, I, you know, I think I would have put that on a T-shirt, Charlie. I let like the that. Fucks flow? I forgot. I forgot we actually said that. Let the fucks flow. Somebody. It, and I wasn't me, unfortunately. I like to take credit for that. It was when my friends said, "Let the fucks flow," because <laughs> we were just so happy the girl cursed. Like, oh, we don't have to hold it any longer. Thank goodness. But the bodies hit the floor. It's let great. It's floor. like not having to hold in piss anymore. You finally uh, get like, to oh. piss. Yeah. So then we're just like, of course, then we're showing off and cursing the whole rest of the session because uh, we can't. We can now. It's awesome. Yeah. We with you. Uh, you know, when you have a, a, a gaming group, um, and, and this even, even with our, our online group was steady for a number of years, um, and you bring somebody new into the group, you always have that vetting uh -huh. process oh, yeah. two or three sessions mm -hmm. before it becomes all right. So, how far can I go with the off color jokes before I get and they're always game related, nobody just comes out with it. But you always like, oh, uh, it's like, or, or can I can I say fuck without offending this person? It's like, oh, jeez. And then once you realize, all right, they're they're as disturbed as the rest of us. Good fit, and then everything goes back to normal. No, that's right. It. That's that's part of the vetting process. Yeah. Well, yeah chemistry we, is very important. There needs to be chemistry at the table, whether it's virtual or real. Right, and that's and I think a lot of it. You, you can't guarantee that at a convention. Conventions, by their very nature, are, are pickup games. If there's a lot of chaos, yep, you can't yes. guarantee that. But when it comes to your own game, whether it's virtual or face-to-face, -face or but if it's a steady group of players, you want a steady group that doesn't have internal conflicts, that everybody mm -hmm. uh, is on the same page, and, and they're not going to be offended by whatever it is that the party likes to, everybody else likes to joke about, you know, and, and, you know, and I think that's, that's important. I mean, I, I'll say this much and I'm very happy about this. I have yet, whether it's at a convention or in a virtual tabletop group, or even in face to face when I was playing out Long Island, been in a group that became uh, politicalized. And I've heard horror stories of those that have, but I've, 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 just like the Tavern's a neutral ground, that I certainly agree that politics exists. You can't say it doesn't. But people left their uh, political – gender is too strong a word, but their, their, their strident political beliefs at the door and understood that we're here to game and to, to share what we have in common. And I think that's very important for us to remember. Yeah, that's why that's a lot of groups um, – you know, the group I'm playing with now has two people from my original group, uh, my brother and uh, a friend of ours. And we're very, very, I mean, we're just, you know, really, really um, compatible with each other. And so but we bring in other people. And so you're always kind of, you know, antsy, you know, like, well, you know, we're referring to stuff that happened like 30 years ago, literally. We're, we're talking about something. Happened. Oh, God, remember 30? Remember when we did this and this? And you don't want to turn off other people. And you also don't want to, you know, say something inadvertently because, you know, sometimes we say some politically incorrect things right. that, that you understand what where, what the meaning is and what the, the you know, the malu, I mean, why, why that was being said. But because you know, a lot of us were knuckleheads when we were kids. We were absolute. I mean, I was oh, like, knucklehead oh, now, dude. What the fuck you talking about? <laughs> and so we just have to be. You know, we're telling past stories. I, sometimes I'm kind of nervously looking around the table, like you know, that's a 
pretty much were knucklehead story. I'm hoping that the people that are around the table that don't know as well are appreciating it and not saying, oh, these guys are absolute moronic idiots. But, you know, but you don't, you don't know. And sometimes you just have to, you know, kind of kind of you know seek it out slowly at first and you, you let a little bit of your you know inner person kind of kind of you know ooze out and then if they seem like they're compatible with that then you let a little more out and then you know by the time you're you know your fifth or sixth session you're just like boom it's you know you're you're all you know you're all pretty much on the same page at least that's my, been my uh yeah uh, it, take, it takes a while i mean it, it probably took me to my my uh, third session out in long island to finally realize i'm not the outsider you know, I, 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 I can, I can goof around and, 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 and make some uh, off-colorist jokes, and the whole room either won't stare at me or ignore me because those are the two options, right? Everybody either stares at you or everybody <laughs> just goes, "I didn't hear that. Did you hear that? Hear what? That's what I thought. No, I didn't hear it either." And just goes, "It's like, oh, gee." And there's the third option: they can applaud you. <laughs> well, that that is that is true. We got a lot of Benchley Tale fans. Uh, hey, Benchley folks! Thank you, David. But um, by the way, I want to address something that uh, uh, John Enfield brought up. He said it's the next best thing uh, to actually being in a room with a really good conversation going on. Well, John, uh, just to let you know, <clears throat> we've gotten. Uh, we, I reached out to uh, uh, and, and uh, Angelia over at TotalCon. We are going to be doing Talk and Crit Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. Uh, that's Whoa. Mike and I. Yes. February 17th through the 20th, because the con's the 18th through the 21st. And we are going to be doing uh, Talk and Crit with special guests. Uh, maybe even bring back Tim. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to do something every night so people who go to conventions to socialize which, to be honest, it's why I go. I think it's why Mike goes. Yes, uh, you know, We're going to try to replicate that virtually and hopefully get some uh, guests that you might go, oh, I, I would love to have seen. We haven't confirmed anybody yet, but just for example, oh, I, 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 I love to see and avoid, because he's scary as hell, Skeeter <laughs> Green at convention. Uh, yes. uh, oh, and maybe we can get Skeeter on. Uh so these are things that we're working on. But once once uh, we got the okay from TotalCon, uh, this is something that they've, they've looked to see done. Now we're going to go and, and uh, get some guests. And we're, we're talking about doing this for uh, other conventions that are having uh, to be forced in a virtual or a virtual hybrid where they are in person and virtual at the same time. Because... Uh, uh, until COVID is is beaten to hell, uh, I will not be going to cons. I am I am now officially a uh, high risk individual, and uh, you know I, I I figured I rolled I, I rolled some excellent saves three times this year. I don't need to put myself in a situation. No, no. so no, not with not with the year you've had. You you have dodged so many bullets. It's ridiculous. You need to yeah. Take take a break, but yeah, that's and that's one thing we we you and I have talked about, and I've I've talked to somebody in the industry who I won't name who it was because I didn't have permission to share the story, but um, they're they're 
a big name and they're pretty much out on virtual cons. I said, they said, if there's virtual cons next year, that's probably it where I'm not going to go to anymore because the, the, cause I know when you and I go to cons, Eric, our, our favorite time of the day is when we shut the booth down and we go in the bar and we're sitting there talking to people. Yeah. Cause that's when you hear all the stories, you hear all the, you just hear all the great stuff. That's, that's when you hear all the, all the, all the gossip and all the inside stuff. And I always, every con I go to, I always hear a story from the old days of TSR that I'd never heard before. And I just, and I, I've told, I've told this one before this probably the last couple of shows, but last, last time I went to um, game or, um, uh, Gary Khan, I was sitting there with Alan Hammock and Darlene, artist for TSR, and Alec Hammock, of course, uh, author of um, Ghost Tower, and, and he's still in the, in the industry also. And there were talk about blah, blah, and Darlene said, that's when you and I were dating, Alan. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold, on, hold on. You dated each other? He's like, oh, yeah, that's when I lived with Frank Menser. We had a bachelor pad. I'm like, whoa, I, you live with Frank Menser? Okay, I didn't. So this is all new to me. So I'm like, okay, we got to tell some, tell me some stories here. So I got to hear 30 minutes of hilarious stories I can't share. And, you know, and it was just great because I'm like, I never, as many times I've been to conventions, I've never heard these tales before. And so that's what we're going to try to do, Eric and I. We're going to, we're going to try to just get people to talk about stuff and, and just tell us, you know, just, Tell us some stories, man, because, you know, we're, we're all tired of COVID. We're tired of not interacting with other people. Gaming online is fun, but it's just not the same. It, 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 you, you, you log on, you game, then you log off and you're like, okay, where's the time at the bar? You know, like right. you and I, I mean, where's the time when you get to go socialize at the bar and hang out? And it's just, it's just not the same. So, so I'm looking forward to this. I, and I have heard a lot of positive on this too from, from different people. So um well, you know, and here's the thing though, Tim, I, since we're gonna we're touching on that whole socialization socialization aspect. Um the way you set up eventually Joe, because I, I I haven't attended, I've seen the notifications. You have like uh tea time ahead of time. Like basically you have a time for people to socialize and 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 get together before the session kicks off. And Right, we call that virtual cocktail hour. Right. That's customary, and, that, and you know, and that's a little bit pure genius. Because I'll, I'll say this: with my uh, old regular uh, roll twenty group, uh, it generally, generally, if we were going to end the this Saturday nights, we'd start at like nine, nine thirty. We'd run to twelve thirty, one o'clock. But you had to give us at least a half an hour to an hour of wind down time at the end, where we would socialize, just like we used to do. Uh, playing out in Long Island. And yeah. we, you know, uh, at least when the weather was warm enough that you could actually talk out in the parking lot. <laughs> right. Because uh, they didn't want you yapping away in the game store because we were usually gaming to the to the uh, to the witching hour there and they didn't need us hanging around longer than we were going to. But we would, you know, you had to unwind. You had to tell the the non-gaming stories or catch up on on other stuff. And I mean my well, why not? Why not put the horse before the cart, as yeah, it were? And I, I enjoy think some that, time beforehand, you know. Right, and you prime in the pump. Then you're getting everybody relaxed and getting to right. in a group that's a pickup group. Uh, that's uh, really uh, a great way to to get people relaxed and set and set it up. I mean, we love that. I, I think I think it's it's literally uh, pure genius, and I'll be honest. You know, like Mike said, we like hanging out in the in the uh, in the bars. But on, on top of that, I like working the table because when I work the table and I sell stuff for Frog Guy Games, I know that I'm going to be meeting people. I'm going to be getting to talk to other gamers. Um, 
and I like doing that. I it's it's the energy, it's it's the food that I love as a creative of any sort within this industry is to get to meet the people that game. That's what we all do this for. I'm sure that's the reason why you have Benchley Dale set up because that energy is better than I don't know getting paid. Uh, it, it it's something very special that that it's hard, it's hard to put into words. You almost get a spiritual fix from it. Well, for me anyway, I think I do. I owe quite a bit of gratitude. I owe a debt of gratitude to first edition AD&D that I can never repay because it rescued me from juvenile delinquency at a very young age. And it gave me something more constructive and positive to focus on than loitering or vandalism or any of the other stupid stuff that I would do when I was very young. Yes. So it helped to shape me. I owe the Boy Scouts of America a debt of gratitude too. And also the great teachers that I had at high school. I mean, there are there are so many so many things I could look back on and, and say, you know, that was a real game changer for me and helped me to become the the person who I am today, who is uh, essentially overseeing 550 people in a virtual group, which is Benchlidale Academy. And I can't even believe we have that many people. When this started in March or April of this year, there were 25 of us, and now there's 550 of us. So now I don't know what that says about first edition AD&D, but it probably says something pretty good. I, people people if, are willing if, to help if, us celebrate and commemorate this classic yeah, edition, sure. and that's, if, that's if, what if it's about for us. I, I came into gaming with, and my mother was so thrilled that I was gaming and playing D&D. She'd... Uh, Make drinks for us, you know, Kool Aid, iced tea. Make sandwiches if the, if they were going to be over for dinner, she'd make a stew or whatever. She always wanted to make sure uh, that everybody was comfortable and happy because she knew it was keeping us out of trouble. And I'm somebody as a New Yorker, I had to go to the Poconos to get into trouble, but in my uh, early teens, mid-teens. I, I, lived, I lived in New York all my life. I was a cop for 20 years, never shot at. Twice. Twice in PA I was shot at. Because we were getting into trouble. I'm not going to say what we did, but trespassing would probably be on the list. Statue of limitations may still be active, so yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. Um, Maybe. It might be. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, just saying. Oh, and of course, Charlie is is, is picking on the fact that I I go to tin. Bernie Hi, tin, Charlie. tin. There you go. Sorry, sorry, Charlie. So oh, I knew that was coming. You went for the low hanging fruit, didn't you? I had to. I had to. And of course, if there's any, well, I shouldn't say this. There probably aren't any younger listeners, unless it's uh. Mike Gross is, uh, what's it's uh, M MG the fourth listening. If you're uh, young, you need to go to bed right now. You don't need to be listening to Eric and I. And by, yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's a for, for all you listeners yeah. out there who are 30 years and under. Please know that the reference Eric just made to Sorry Charlie is from an old <laughs> tuna fish commercial Back that used to air on television, <laughs> and it was a brand called Starkiss, <laughs> which they still make today. Anyway, when you have to explain yeah. the reference, it just kills the whole thing. Then it's uh, dead. talking about don't squeeze the shaman. <laughs> no, oh, this don't do old commercials. I mean, it's gonna kill. You're gonna kill me, man. 
Uh, we, don't, well, we wouldn't. We see. We wouldn't want to well, do that. TM. I have something I want to ask Tim, and this is like because we just do a hex crawl here, and we're just all over the place, right? So I can just throw something out, right? So, so Tim, I, I know I read an interview of yours probably years ago. Um, you have a connection to the music industry in Long Island, and you mentioned Frank Zappa as somebody you talked to and met. Um, why don't you wow us with some of the famous names in music? Because we're the same era. You and we're all the same era, all yeah. three of us. So we probably all know the same types of musicians. So why don't you just my, my just, just, just name drop some of the guys you hung out with that day that you might have met and had a beer with, or absolutely calling around. In 2006, I was a journalist for a nationally published and distributed music magazine called Inside Connection. And my job was a gossip columnist. So I would get backstage backstage passes for this one or that one. And one day I went to Jones Beach. And it was the summer of 2006. Or maybe it was 2004. It might have been 04. I'm backstage with Ray Manzarek and Robbie Krieger. And I'm hanging out with the both of them. Half the doors. Okay, nice. Yeah. <laughs> the same night, I was also hanging out with Mark Stein from Vanilla Fudge and his drummer, Carmine Apice. And the surviving members of the Yardbirds were also there to perform that night. And you're going to like this too. Steppenwolf was there that night also, including John Kay on lead. All of this in one big old bill. It was built as some sort of throwback um, 1960s kind of a bill, I suppose. But it was so great hanging out backstage with Ray Manzarek. All he wanted to talk about was crabs. Uh, uh, <laughs> and was, I'm assuming as in fishing crabs, not right. social disease. All right. right. Yes. Because where Ray is from in California, um, I'm guessing they don't really see crabs very much in the way of seafood there. It's just not really a, a Pacific Ocean thing like it is for us on the Atlantic. And the the road crew had put out this wonderful spread and I was backstage so I was allowed to eat from the spread too this incredible buffet style spread of seafood and and Ray was hanging out over near the 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 sterno cans and the and the the steam table uh, trays that had the the clams in them that had just been fresh caught from the water right off the uh, right off where the stage is near Jones Beach right. where you can go and catch crabs so he was eating crabs and he was so happy. He was like, come here, let's take a picture together. So I took a picture together with Ray and, and I was asking him some questions about a book he had just published called A Poet in Exile, which was Ray Manzarek's big book about what really happened to Jim Morrison after 1971. When Jim had six or eight, I forget how many it was, different paternity suits pending against him at the time he faked his death in France. So if anybody had a reason to disappear, it was Jim. And Ray wrote a book about it. Ray wrote a book about this experience where one day he got a letter in the mail, a mysterious letter that came in the mail just signed with the letter J. It wasn't, you know, full initials or a full name. So... Ray was reading the letter, and then he looked at the po um, at the postmark stamp from the Seychelles Islands in the Indian Ocean, and he's like, "I got to track this back because I have a strong suspicion I know who this might be." So not only did he track his way back to the post office that sent the letter to him in California, he flew to the Seychelles. He spent some time with Jim. Now this this would have been in the early two thousands. Okay. Okay. Uh -huh. 
he spent some time with Jim and his wife and their three or four children. And Jim had stacks and stacks of notebooks of poetry and song lyrics that he had been writing since he disappeared. And he said to Ray, Ray, we're going to get the band back together. We're going to do this. <laughs> I was asking Ray questions about the book because Ray never really went on public record after A Poet in Exile was published saying, yes, it's fact. Yes, it's fiction. I don't want to talk. He just was, I don't want to talk about it. He, want this, he wanted this element of mystique to be uh, around the book. If, if I did it by OJ. Not saying I did, but if I did. If, well, it would be a similar situation. Yeah. Great book, great read. I highly recommend it. It's sad. I'll, I'll give you a spoiler. About two-thirds of the book is just Ray and Jim having conversations. So when you're reading the book, it's like you're reading a transcript of a conversation between Ray and Jim. It's great. And they talk about all sorts of stuff. And Jim sounds excited to want to get back together with Robbie and John and make music again. Now, at one point during the book, and this is the real sad part of the book, Jim's wife calls Ray off to the side and, you know, says, Ray... Jim doesn't want to tell you this himself, but I have to tell you, Jim is dying. Jim's dying of cancer. And he doesn't want to talk about it. I know he doesn't look like it's happening, but it is happening. So, you know, please don't get his hopes up too much about all this stuff. Just let it go. You know, let it be. By the end of the book, Ray was flying back to California by himself and thinking about who he had just spent some time with after all these years of believing him to be dead and the conversations that they had and talking about life and love and everything in between. And oh, the book is so great. You really should read it, even though it gets so sad towards the end because Ray just has to come to grips with the fact that he came so close to having Jim Morrison back in his life with Robbie and John. And... Then Jim's wife took it away from Ray, and that was the end of it. And it was, it, it just pulls your heart yeah. out. You so know? He, he, I mean, he was, he was perfectly. I mean, this is believable, right? Your listeners are like, I, I mean, I believe Jim Morrison. I mean, after talking to Ray, and he's sitting there telling you that he met with Jim Morrison, you're not calling him a liar to his face or say like, well, that doesn't sound right because you're thinking, well, if anybody would disappear, it'd be Jim Morrison because he was a wacky guy. And so, you know, I mean, so this is all perfectly, you're talking to him, you're like, this makes sense. Does it all make yeah. sense to you? It did. And then um, at one point during my conversation with Ray about this, Robbie Krieger comes walking by and he's wearing these loud camouflage pants. They're not your typical jungle camo with different shades of green and brown. This is like super loud, like a cross between what might be considered urban camo with different shades of gray. And then you have some splotches of, of neon bright orange. And I'm like, I'm looking at these pants on Robbie. And I said, Robbie, where can I get a pair of pants like that? And he says to me, oh, Ian got these for me. Now, when he talks about Ian, he's referring to Ian Anderson, Ian the Anderson. former lead singer from The Cult, who replaced Jim on that tour. Okay. So both Robbie and Ray were playing um, in that band, but John, the drummer, didn't want any part of it. Um, and he would not allow Robbie or Ray to call themselves The Doors. So hmm, what weird. they had to do for that concert at um, Jones Beach, uh -huh. they had to change their band name. So they changed their band name to D, like Doors, two, one, like the numerals, two and one, and then the letter C, like Charlie, D, two, one, C. 
That was the name of the band that night. And it was supposed <laughs> to stand for Doors of the 21st Century. Ah, That's no. what they were calling themselves. But by calling themselves D21C, they wouldn't get sued by John. John didn't want to be a part of it because he felt like their legacy was ruined. What are you doing? You're milking this. It's a dead cow. Right. Leave it alone. Yeah. Respect the legacy. And, and I get it. You know, John has a point. Um, so that was cool. And then I was after that talking to Carmine Apice from Vanilla Fudge. And all he wanted to talk about was turquoise. <laughs> he was wearing 12 turquoise rings. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, wow, wow, Carmine, that's wild. He's like, yeah, man, I love turquoise. It's my favorite stone. I'm like, that's cool. Were you born in the month that turquoise is a birthstone for? And we were just talking and talking. And he was telling me about the stories with Vanilla Fudge and Led Zeppelin in California at the hotel with the mud shark. And I'm like, man, you really want to tell me about this? <laughs> 20 minutes later, I meet Mark Stein, who was the keyboard player for the Vanilla Fudge, and he was the one who allegedly held the milk, the mud shark, during that episode, or held the Super 8 camera and filmed it at the time. It's really weird. Now, <clears throat> here I am. It's 2004, I think, and I'm like, you know, I was born in 1970, so I missed out on a lot of that great stuff and a lot right. of that great music when it happened at the time, but, but I was brought up with music. My parents had a great record collection from a lot of music from that time. My dad was really into Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones. My mom was really into the Doors and the Doobie Brothers. So I was getting hit for, by classic rock from all sides. I grew up on it and I loved it. I was never one of those kids who rebelled against the musical taste of my parents. I loved the musical taste of my parents and it inspired me to branch out and find more music to like. And I started to like some jazz and I started to like some country. And as time went on, you just start to have an appreciation for everything. I could listen to classical music, no problem. Okay. I, can, I could listen to R&B. I could listen to just about anything. Um, and then I went into becoming a performing artist myself. And after having been a singer in professional bands in New York for more than 25 years, it gave me really all the confidence I need to continue DMing and whatnot. Stage fright is a problem for a lot of fledgling DMs, and I get it. I've been there. Um, stage fright is a problem for a lot of lead singers of bands, too. And I think after my first thousand hours of stage time, though, <laughs> I started to lose something that I really miss. You lose the butterflies in the stomach. You don't feel them anymore. They're just gone. And you miss it. And you're so comfortable with being on stage and crowds of strangers and in between song banters and dealing with hecklers and making them feel like they're two inches tall. I mean, you, you, you live it. You do, you live with women flashing their tits at you and in drunken roadhouses and biker bars. I have like James Bond flashing his. Uh, yeah. That's not the same thing, Eric. Sorry. That's, no. yeah. that's James quite Bond not the same thing though. But, um, <laughs> My, my, it was my experience in the music world and the journalism for music and the being a performer that helped me a lot later on with getting established with Ben Schleydale and Beyond now. But I have a story for you that doesn't involve music. It involves the origin of Ben Schleydale, the word. Where does it come right. from? This is something that I'd like to explain to you, if you don't mind. I have a, about a minute's worth of explanation for you. Uh, dude, will... dude, it's a hex. It's a hex crawl, man. What are we doing? Right. We're, we're, in hex, uh, yeah. we're, we're in hex. We're in hex. Benchleydale. Okay. Describe well, it to us. Here we go. Benchleydale. It comes from two things. It comes from Peter Benchley, the author of Jaws. 
Benchley was taken for Benchley-Dale because of the dangerous nature of Jaws, my favorite, well, my second favorite American novel, and my first, well, second favorite American film. I love the dangerous timelessness of the Jaws story and how it is really set off of the coast of Long Island with the, a famous shark fisherman off of the coast of Montauk. Jaws, the film, takes place off of the coast of Massachusetts near Cape Cod on a fictional island called Amity Island. It's not to be confused with Amityville on Long Island, as it is sometimes confused. Anyway, I love Jaws, and I love Peter Benchley. I've read a couple of his books. Jaws is still his best. So, Benchley. Now, where does the Dale come from? Dale comes from Monty Python's Flying Circus and a skit called The Cheese Shop, in which John Cleese walks into a cheese shop and asks for all different kinds of cheese. Michael Palin tells him, no, we don't have this. Sorry, we don't have that till the end of the week. Oh, no, sorry, the cat's in it, etc. You get the idea. Right. I love that skit so much. So we take Dale from Michael Palin's character in The Cheese Shop sketch. His character's name is Wensleydale, which is also the name of a famous British cheese. So, Mr. Wensleydale, thank you. We take Dale from your name. We tack it on to the end of Benchley. And now we have Benchley Dale, a name that represents both the dangerous and the zany silly of the sandbox. So we try not to be super high fantasy serious. We try not to be over the top silly. We are silly, but not over-the-top silly. And so we combine both the danger and the comedy, and there you have it. So that's the origin of the Bench of the Dale name for our sandbox, just in case you were wondering. Well, a couple of things. First of all, I want to say that I saw Jaws on the big screen for the first time last year. The big screen. I mean, I've seen it a million times. I've seen it How did you like it? A hundred times. I brought my grandson, who at the time was, he would have been 15 back then, So because th our summer... He would have been able to see it then, because... Well, well, well Jaws, Jaws was not rated R. You know this, right? right. Jaws was rated PG. At the you know time, this, right? Right, because they had the that, that that was when they changed. They hadn't changed the. Uh, they hadn't uh, changed the restrictions, restrictions by that time. Yeah. Right. But we, we and, saw because that was the last time we saw Indiana Jones, we saw Aliens, we saw all this great movie because we have a. Uh, at our local theater, they show older movies, and every Wednesday they'll have like a theme, like whatever. So I, I had never seen Jaws on the big screen. I said, I'm going to see it on the big screen because I love this movie. And I brought him. I said, you're going to go see the movie. It's going to be a shark that eats people. You're going to love it. And he was, was scared. Like, no, he wasn't scared because you know kids nowadays they grow up with stuff. It's not scary to him, but he loved it. He was like just his mouth. He was like, whoa, yeah, oh that's cool, you know. So he he did like the movie. And I, I bet he thought it was better you. than Sharknado. Oh God! And it still holds up too because you got the, the just three of the be greatest actors of the seventies there doing Roy their Schneider, my oh, hero. All three of those guys were just incredible. And, and then Roy of course, Schneider. if you know the lore of the movie, um, oh God, I, I, what's his name? The older guy, uh, uh, the character uh, or the actor? Quint, 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 uh, the Quint. actor. Oh, uh, the actor who played Quint. Yes. 
Oh, why have I drawn a blank? I am not, I'm just totally. I'm just. I'm just veg. I'm not just, Robert Stack. Uh, not Robert Wagner. No, or, no, come God. on, Eric. You know this. I don't. I, I don't. I know I, you know oh what? You guys God. keep talking. I'll, I'll. I'll Google it. Yes. Anyway. Okay, so, Eric's gonna cheat. Okay, but, go ahead, I, Mike. So I knew all the all the lore. So I'm sitting here telling him stuff for the movie. And the and for those who don't know, he was absolutely drunk the whole time they made Jaws because he was Robert he, Shaw. Robert Shaw. Robert was, Shaw. Thank you. He was drinking like crazy. He pissed off Shider and pissed off the other guy. Who's the other third actor? The Dreyfus. Um, Dreyfus pissed him off because he was drunk all the time. Couldn't remember his lines. I mean, he couldn't never remember. His, so they had to shoot scenes over and over again. Oh. And so that that whole scene where they're they're in the cabin at night and they're showing each other the scars and. and He's oh, I love that story scene. about the you know the pearl where we were there and we got in the water. That was pretty much ad lib because he was just so drunk and loaded all the time. And they said, "There's no way he's gonna be able to do this because he, he can't even speak his lines." And somehow he just can't. I mean, he that, that was written out, but he still ad libbed a whole bunch of stuff in there, and it was perfect. And they were like, "Cut! Oh God, <laughs> we can't do that scene again. There's no way he's gonna be able to do it." So there's so much great lore from that movie, and just so many interesting. Parts. I just love the movie, and so, and of course, Spielberg. That was Spielberg's big shot. Uh, it made so much money. It created a whole, oh yeah, a whole. Um, I mean, nobody was scared of sharks until Jaws came. Then nobody would go in the water. It's true. Nobody would yeah. go in the water for years afterwards. So it's just that's an amazing. I, I'm with you on that one. Benchley just basically, you know, caught fire on that one, and just it was great. But yeah, my grandson liked it. He, I mean, he, like I said, he wasn't scared because nowadays. The ki- I mean, the kids nowadays are, you know, whatever. I'm sorry. Did you read the Jaws novel, Mike? I actually read it a long time ago. I did not like it very much, but Why? I, I, well, because I realized years later, I read the Reader's Digest condensed version. Oh. But I, read it. I did read it because my mom had it later on. I was like, oh, I'll read it. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. It's really oh, sketchy. So you, it's really sketchy. Oh. <laughs> and then years later, I'm like, I read the freaking Reader's Digest condensed novel. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very good novel. And But I mean, Spielberg just, it's one of those cases where, the, the the director i mean just the stuff the stuff he chose the way he chose the film scenes i mean everything just is just exceptional it's, if you've never seen the movie which is hard to believe see the movie it's it's a great movie i um, mean just great the dialogue's great the the interaction between the three main characters is is great oh, even some of the minor characters are great the the mayor of uh amity is hilarious i he's a character actor. i can't remember the guy's name he's he's absolutely great i mean just everybody in the everybody in the movie is just and just, the and the novelist peter benchley appears as an actor in the film yes he does. yeah he was he's, he's a, a newscaster on newscaster. the beach i couldn't remember if he's yeah I'm really? on the beach, yeah mm-hmm. so yeah so that, that was yeah so it was great to see jaws on the big screen because I, I agree with you. That's that's awesome. I love seeing great, movies like that on it's a, a big great, screen. Great, it's a great novel, and you see, okay, Jaws, but it's a great, it's a great book. It really is a good book too. Just don't read the condensed version. <laughs> no, don't. Version. You want to read the real version? We just digest version because you know. I can't believe I did that. At the I end can't. of the Jaws film, it is both Roy Scheider's character, Chief Brody, and Richard Dreyfuss's character, Hooper who swims safely away to shore in the book. It is only Roy Scheider's mm-hmm. character, Chief Brody, who swims safely to yes, shore. Everybody gets, gets right. Yeah. Right. And if you read the book, you'll get to see Richard Dreyfuss's character sleep with Roy Scheider's character's wife. wife. Yep. 
that was part of the, that was part of where they cut out. The, by the way, that they cut that out of the condensed version because I didn't get that when I was a kid. Later, I'm reading. I'm like, oh, this is one of the uh, they, they, they condensed. They condensed this right. whole book. Is yeah, this is optional? Nobody needs to read that. <laughs> we just, I just, we don't need infidelity. Come on. We also, by the way, I also saw Alien for the first time on the big screen last summer too. That was great. Oh, and nice. I, I, when that came out, that was in '79. I want to say I just never got around to see it in the theater and. That hold up. My wife had never seen it. I went, I went with my wife, and she was just like, "This is a really, really good movie." I said, "I know because, you know, I, I'd had so this is totally off topic, but we hex crawl anyway." I, I had a talk with a guy about movie theaters because right now movie, there's we're not really seeing movies in movie theaters, and everybody's streaming stuff, and we have Netflix, and we can see first run movies on our TV. And he, he was saying, "Oh, you know, I, I think that this is the future. We're gonna we're gonna be streaming movies, and and we're not gonna be going to the theater anymore." I said, "I just don't see that because." The, the the movie experience in the theater is such a magical thing because, you know, I mean, I, I'm not a rich man. I don't have a screen that big and I don't have a sound system that good. And I right. get there and I just, I don't know, just everything about it, the darkness, the smell of popcorn. And then, of course, nowadays they have the wonderful reclining seats. Oh, like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. You got a waitress come up and serve you a beer and, you know, oh, yeah. I'm just going to watch it. And I'm just like, you know, I, I just still love that experience. And so, like we said, seeing Alien on the big screen was just like such experience because you're used to seeing these things, these little boxes. And I, I compare it to something that that y'all understand, especially you, Tim, is that um, for a few years ago, I played my grandson his first ever actual record album. Now, remember, kids nowadays, they don't grow up. They never they don't know records. They hear compressed music on MP3s, which is it's it's, it's shitty. It's crap. OK, because it's compressed sound. And if you know how MP3s are made, they take out parts of the music to compress it. So if you the first time you hear something, so he's a big Zeppelin fan. So I played Zeppelin album four on a record player. And he it blew his mind. He's like, gotta oh, have vinyl, man. Vinyl oh, is because great. you hear so much more when you if you, all you've ever heard is MP3s. Do yourself a favor and play an actual record album. And so the same thing with the movie. If you've only seen stuff on your screen or, or i mean people nowadays they watch they watch movies on their on their cell phone i'm like you can't see it. what the hell are you doing yeah. so when you see something on the big screen like that and that's the way it was meant to be seen and the direct you know that's everything is geared towards that the director directed the movie to be seen on the big screen the actors acted the movie to be seen. it's just it's incredible so yeah alien was was a great experience on the big screen i was just even though i've seen it a hundred times i was absolutely blown away by the the big screen experience of alien so yeah that's that and jaws were, were made my year last year to be finally finally after 40 years being able to see them on the big screen was great that's nice being able to go and enjoy that. About ten years ago, I finally saw The Shining on a big screen. Oh, yeah, that, the original, right? This Kubrick, Kubrick, uh, Kubrick, original. my yes. favorite film of all time, number one. Nothing tops it. I finally got to see it on a big screen. I went to a YMCA, and they were doing a big, um, I guess they call it like a revival theater oh. night. Our revival house, and it was so nice to see that on the big screen. Now, I had seen the film a hundred times um, going to see it. I didn't really catch anything new, but it was so incredible to be finally seeing that on a big screen. It felt like such a 
bucket list item for me, just like seeing Jaws sure. on a big screen must have been for you. Definitely. And my, my wife saw The Shining for the first time last year. Uh, we went to a friend's house for Halloween, and they were showing, they showed like Rocky Horror Picture Show, but the, the, the last movie that they showed, and there's a, there's a party going on at the same time, they showed The Shining. And she's like, I've never seen this. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. Hold on. Oh, I've been so good. married 20 years, and you're telling me you've never seen The Shining. Like, no, I. it's about, what's it really about? It's got Jack Nicholson. I said, okay, we're sitting, we're watching it. So we, had to, <laughs> we watched the whole thing, and she... And she thought that was scary. And I'm looking back. I'm, you know, I know what's going to happen. So to me, it's not that scary anymore. Or, you know, it's just, it's just Eric, creepy. Eric, movie. please tell us you that you've seen The Shining. <laughs> I've seen The Shining. I'm also seeing my cat crossing in front of my screen. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. I didn't get that. Could you try again? Oh, God. <laughs> She's hit like numerous keys. It's like oh, shit popping up. So like, but the shot, but oh. that was that was great because I don't know if you do the same thing, Tim or Eric. But you're when you've seen a movie a lot and you're with somebody who's never seen it, you're watching them the whole time. You're not even watching the movie anymore. You want to see their reactions to when certain things happen, you know, and you want to see how they react. And you're hoping that they like it because the worst thing is you go see like, oh, you got to see Terminator or something. They see it and like, ah, oh, it sucked. Like, I know. you know. So, so yeah, I'm watching her watch The Shining, and it's just great because all these scenes that I, you know, here's you know, here's Johnny and all that stuff i'm i'm waiting for and she's like oh you know she's freaking out and so that was just great being able to finally see it with her and so we did a thing a couple years ago in that same vein we, we had 70s sci-fi night or and we do this every friday night for like i guess we did it for a couple months because she had never seen planet of the apes logan's Whoa. run oh god um name another uh ben uh, oh no ben's horror man that's not oh, sci-fi. okay sorry but, the planet of the apes Planet, but yeah, um, what was the Beneath other one? The planet of the oh, uh, so Logan's run, um, Battlestar was, Galactica, the first one, yeah. And then we saw Battlestar Galactica, she thought she's because we've been watching the newer show, and she's like, This is so terrible. I'm like, Well, that's sight, you know, it, it was um, uh, what was the one with jo Charlton Heston? Uh, because Charlton Heston's like the king of all 70s sci fi movies, so I'm like, oh, Green, yeah. so I'll go with Charlton Heston, oh, and then uh, yes. what was the other one with him? Uh, the Omega, uh, Man. Omega Man, Omega Man. So and good. And then uh, what was the one with the rollerball? We saw rollerball. So oh, so every Friday night was seventies sci-fi night, and so so we get through with like we do this for like two months. She's and at the end she's like, you know, people in the seventies were really cynical, weren't they? Because <laughs> they're all terrible. They they're, have horrible. I mean, Sword of the Green is probably oh, the most it's people movie in terms of like, oh my god, this is like such. Because um, I'm like, so which world would you like to live in? All those worlds. She's like, none of them. They're all terrible. I was like, I know, you know, seventies was kind of a weird time. Nobody were they weren't very hopeful for our, for our world's future because all that stuff is just like, you know, every ending is just like a downer and just like, man, this sucks. I, got, I, don't I got rich to enjoy Escape from New York, man. She was like, this cool is movie. Good. We didn't see that, but that's eighties though. We didn't see that all right. thing. All I would right. like to watch the thing too, but that was eighties. So we we, we did seventies only. So I said, all and right. I, I, I tried to make her understand why when we were kids, Charlton Heston was the most amazing human being ever because he was in three of our favorite movies. He was in Omega Man. He was in Planet of the Apes. He was in Swillet Green. So we just thought we didn't even know what Ten Commandments were. We just knew that Charlton Heston was the badass of all badass when it came to science fiction movies. So well, he, he I have a fun. Movie. I have a fun Planet of the Apes factoid for you. It just popped into my head. Now, I've never read the novel, uh, the French novel, from which the Planet of the Apes film is based. But I have heard that in that novel, the apes do not speak any verbal language. 
um, that any human would recognize. They speak their own ape language, uh, whereas in the film you get them speaking English, of course. Right, sure. Um, uh, right, but, you don't want uh, subtitles at the whole. No, match. of course not. But it, it just makes me so curious and makes me almost really want to go back and find an English translation of that French novel and read it just to see what it's like when, when apes are communicating with one another and with Charlton Heston's character, you know, Taylor. And um, they also interact with some of the other surviving astronauts too from that from that first crash, don't they? They get captured as well, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, that's what Peter, uh, Peter Boll is the guy I wrote it, I think, if I remember correctly, B-O-U-L-L-S. I assume it's pronounced. I, think so. I, I have the book and I've never read it, so it's been sitting on myself. So I need to pull that out at some point and flip through it and see. Uh, yeah, it's true because I've never actually read the original novel. So, well, when you do, let me know what that what that seems like to you because that's that's the most most curious thing to me after only having seen the film so many times but never touched the novel. Pierre Bol, Pierre Bol, not Peter Bol, Pierre Bol. That's correct, David. Thank Pierre Bol, Pierre Boyer. So, so sorry, sorry. So basically, that. Tim, what you just saw there was just a. Uh, this is what Glenn and I do on Eric's show all the time because we're movie maniacs. So I'm sorry to hijack your show. Oh there yeah, when we do minutes, the, uh, but I just I you know when you brought check. up Jaws, that was it. Like what? This is fun. Are you kidding? Yeah. I love this stuff. Oh, Jaws is I great. I love so. this stuff. So this this that was that I had I had to go. So I'm sorry. We had a few more uh, items we were going to cover there before I got lost in a that's in quite fan, all right fanboy land, Eric. Uh, wasn't there a few couple more things we were going to talk about on the uh, well, on the, the gaming front? On the gaming front, like I said, Wizards of the Coast did not. Oh yes, they're right. Oh. There is uh, something that is interesting. So we mentioned the uh, Pathfinder Humble Bundle, and this is Pathfinder One E because Two E is. I'm not going to say 2E is a failure. I don't want people rolling. Oh, 2E is not a failure. But if you look at if you if you if you look at the stats for Roll 20, you look at their OR report, and it's like 5E. Half the games and you know being played on Roll 20 are 5E, and I don't know. Eight percent are Pathfinder One, and two and a half percent are Pathfinder Two. <laughs> Pathfinder Two is a fucking failure. And it's got to be killing them. Yeah, it's got to yeah. be killing. How? So here's the interesting thing. Um, on Thanksgiving Day, which is last Thursday, mm -hmm. uh, Savage Worlds means Pinnacle. Shane Hensley announced that they had the license to uh, produce Pathfinder uh, Adventure Paths, Paizo's Adventure Paths, for the Savage Worlds system. And I, I own the first couple of Adventure Pass because this is back when I wasn't gaming, but I was buying. And uh, they read really well, but I don't know if they leveled really well. Uh, certain things like Adventure Pass, I don't think work well with a level system. I, 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 I think they work better with uh, a system that's more skill-based because it allows your players to go in different directions. Adventure Pass... By their nature, funnel you way too much, especially if you need to level. So I think by removing the the leveling of traditional D and D type gaming, I think it's going to be great. And Savage World is a great system. I still don't understand how powers work in there, and I've had many a person try to explain it to me. But I've I've always liked the system. I think it would be a nice little uh, conversion when it starts coming out. Oh, and of course, it's going to be kickstarted. And uh, Pinnacle oh, did a great oh, job yeah, with Savage Rift. So. 
I think it was it's a good decision because we talked um, for a long time that the fact that one of the if pies want to make money, all they have to do is license all their uh, venture pass to and, and produce them in five E, which is kind of like sleeping with the enemy. Basically, you're saying that right. hey, your system's better than ours. We're going to do this in five E now. So this is a great idea for them to actually make some more money off their venture pass, but not have to. Uh, bend the knee to Watsi or 5e by saying, "Hey, we're going to do this Savage Worlds." And and there's some really good adventure paths there. My, we were talking about this earlier. My only, my only, I don't know, trepidation about it or whatever is just that they're the first adventure path they're going to do, of course, is Rise of the Rune Lords, and they've done Rise of the Rune Lords like eight times already. And as a matter of fact, this year they just put out the 20th anniversary or 10th whatever edition of Rise of the Rune Lords for Pathfinder 2.0. So it's I think it's been overdone. Now I'm interested to see what they're going to do after Rise of the Rune Lords because it just seems to me if you're if you've already bought six versions of Rise of the Rune Lords, are you really going to be sucked in like, oh I, I have to have the Savage Worlds one also. Um but it, I mean it's a good adventure path. It's just that it's it's almost been overdone. It's like if you kept reissuing um, two more horrors of you. Oh, wait, Watsy does do that. So, yes, it, well, it, yeah, it, 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 like, eight, you know, eight versions B, of two more B1, B2, we're, we're reissuing uh, all like you know, IO Dread, Goodman Games has been yeah. doing all this. So, I, I guess there's so there's, there's there's money in it, so I, they're gonna do it, but I, I think it's a I think it's a good idea for them. They they have um they've lost a lot of market share. I mean. It's hard to believe a few years ago they were the number one selling RPG, and now they're like you said, Eric. They're you know on on online they're only eight percent of the or whatever ten percent. Whatever, the yeah. They've lost market share like you wouldn't believe, and they had a great market share with four E. Now we're all OSR gamers, or primarily OSR. It's where our our focus is. I um, mean, I started out with AD and D. Uh, it's certainly my first love when it comes to old systems. Uh, Swords of Wizardry is where I hang my hat because it, to me it plays like 1E without a lot of the bags that we didn't use anyway. But um, we owe a lot of what the OSR is to Pathfinder and Paizo really raising the bar and allowing OSR publishers like Frog God Games to produce games and products for Pathfinder that allow them to fund putting out a Swords and Witchery version. Maybe, you know, putting out uh, Rapanathic simply for Swords and Witchery would not have been profitable. But having Pathfinder out there and having both versions, suddenly it becomes profitable. Um, so it was, at the time, the rising tide that lifted all ships. Now, now it's 5e. And Pathfinder 2E with a reaction to 5E, but unlike reacting to 4E, which I know there's people going to say hate me for saying this. I know there's some loyalists. Uh, 4E sucked moose balls. Oh boy, <laughs> he went there. Yeah. I went there. God damn it to hell! And it's not just the wine talking. He's not. You're not so far on the plank on that one. So I, no. I'm not, I don't give you a lot of credit. That come on. All well, right, all right. But um, you know, 5E. There is some OSR love in the design of 5e. There's some fuck yous to the OSR in 5e too, but there are certainly some certain callbacks. You can tweak it to make more OSR. At least it's tweakable. 4e was not tweakable. You tweaked it and the system broke. Um, but uh, yeah, Paizo, where they are now is 
in a large part due to 5e. Since Pathfinder with reaction to 4e, uh, they have. It's great to make a reaction to a game that's not selling, but to a game that's selling really well, it's hard to to give a viable alternative to. And I don't think Pathfinder 2 really is that. It so. was a weird. It was a weird situation, and and you know, it's that. I mean, look, I mean. Paizo couldn't be happier. That that funded the you know the rise of their company, but uh, um, it, it's it's very understandable they don't. I mean, the, the temptation has to be huge for them to do fifth edition versions of their of their uh, venture pass because that they would sell. They'd sell like yeah. crazy. I mean, for the most part, they're very well written, and I mean, I, I've I've have a few and I've read them. The problem is I just can't. It just requires too much effort to change them, and there's already s- such a wealth of actual D and D material out there, even, especially older material. And like when you throw in Judges Guild and all the other stuff, I mean, there's so much stuff that I haven't even got to yet. Right now, we're, I'm running. Uh, Greg Gillespie's High Fell, and that's gonna—I mean—that's gonna give us another two years of gaming, probably. So there's just not enough time for me to sit there and go, "Okay, I really want to run this adventure path, and I'm going to convert it all." But uh, Savage World's a great solution, and and that's probably the best of a you know couple bad choices for him because uh, I guarantee you that they they probably thought about you know we should convert all adventure paths to 2.0, and then just said. No, it, it's just not going to be worth the time nor the effort. Because I know for working at Frog God, when we do a conversion of an older, you know, an older series of modules or an order adventures or something, we crunch all the numbers. We say, okay, right. is it going to be worth, you know, pub- republishing supplement blank in 5e? Are we going to be able to change it up enough or make it, you know, g- make it different enough that people who bought the original version are going to buy the 5e version. And sometimes we say no to stuff. Sometimes we say, they're, you know, that this just doesn't have a, a big enough audience to actually convert it to 5e and Swords and Wizardry. And then sometimes we're like, well, yeah, we, we have to do Rapid Ethic. I mean, that's, you know, we, we've done that for every system we've ever had. And so that, you know, we do stuff like that. But, but yeah, they, they had to think for a second, 2.0, and then reality took a hold. And they said, no, we our market share is terrible in 2.0. What else can we do? And somebody had the bright idea to do Savage Worlds. You know, so well, and uh, uh, by the way, found its way into Bench Little and Beyond, believe it or not. That's in our sandbox. Oh, really? Yeah, interesting. I, nice. I wanted That's to make awesome. sure we had some, we needed some cool mega dungeons for it, and it seemed like a fun one to throw in there. So we went with that one, among others. That, that well, that's a good choice, and any group that uh, picks that one's gonna be playing with it for ages. <laughs> I know, I you know. Uh, I've already got them playing S3, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks, for ages. We started in March. It's already December. S3. Wow. Wow. This is how you do it. This is how you split the party and keep them split. So I've got this down to a science, brothers. Excellent, man. Well well done. Well done, Jim. We shall keep S3 going for as long as I can until every player character, yes, every last one of them, has met their maker. Or has a non-working laser device that has no battery. <laughs> right. Or has one of those. Yeah, yeah. That was always like my favorite stuff from uh, Dragon Magazine. And you'd be like, oh, all right. So now we have, we're going one step below demigods. We're going to the characters of, 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 of Gary's campaigns that are just important enough to get something like a six-shooter. But with limited bullets, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really do anything. All that it, oh, 
God That's a little mixing of the peanut butter and the chocolate going on there. I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, but it's listen, not for everybody, of course. No, I, I still remember G Gamma World was my, my first non-D&D pickup. I think that's... Mine too. And I, wanted, the, I wanted Traveler, but never could get anybody who played. So it was Gamma World and then Star Frontiers. It was uh, Gamma World for me, and I still remember spending a day scratching my head going, wait a second, hit points are based upon constitution? So I I really need a high constitution no matter what. I could I, I could be uh, dumb as a gnat and 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 weak as a squirrel, but so long as I have an 18 con, nothing's gonna kill me. Okay. Well, what's your end game? <laughs> You're trying to avoid death? You're trying to cheat the Grim Reaper here, Eric? Yes. Well, you know, it's not always all about hit points. Sometimes it's just about role play and having a good time. Uh, yeah, but not when I was younger. Ah, uh, okay. Well, you know, let, 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 let's 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 admit that's something that uh, evolves with play. I mean, I I think that for a large part of us, power gaming was part of that initial teen years of gaming, where. Uh, you know, when your PCs off screen would suddenly get 18s and 17s and <laughs> and every stat. I don't know how that happened. Whoops! Yeah, how did that happen? <laughs> well, not just not as much power gaming is that you just knew that okay, I, I can swing a broadsword, but why would I just swing a two-handed sword? Because one does one to ten, this one does two to seven, and really, right. as long as the DM doesn't enforce the fact that you really shouldn't be swinging a giant two-handed sword in a ten by ten dungeon, I'm going to use a the biggest weapon I get. If it's a halberd, I use a halberd, you know, right. because I'm, I want the most damage I can get. It wasn't until years, you know, then, then now when I'm older, now I, I enforce stuff like, okay, you're in a dungeon. You can't use your longbow, dude. Right. Have you seen, have you seen a longbow? You yeah, cannot. You can't try, use I, in a dungeon. I'm going to try, I'm going to try to fire and no, you have a longbow. You don't right. have a crossbow. You're that's not that, that's why crossbows are very useful in dungeons. And, <laughs> uh -huh. and Rogo Santa bows are not. Uh, yes. This is also why torches and flasks of oil go together lovely in dungeons too. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to light your, your your oil with your lantern. It's not going. It, it's designed not to work that way. <laughs> right. Well, that's right. And 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 that bastard sword that does two uh, d eight damage. It's only when you wield it two handedly, not in one right. hand. Right. That's something that some people kind of go overlook. Like, oh no, but it says. <laughs> oh well. Yeah. The joys of 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 one e and like I I've been doing uh, on the regular podcast I've been going back to recently the player's handbook and and taking a, a, another look at certain things and I even read the back cover for the first time and I don't know my whole gaming career and I was like I still remember being told that one e was Gary's solution to the house ruling. Of all of, of the prior edition of the of the box set and the basic set, that th that AD and D one E was going to be the one game to cut out house ruling and to make uh, a uniformed rule set for convention play. Sure, and and yeah. to cut out Dave Arneson. Well, that too. <laughs> so then uh, I'm looking at it goes all recommended character classes. I went all recommended. So well, character are... races, it tells you what the character races are. Character races, character, oh, character races, okay. Yeah, but all recommended character classes. And okay. I was like, oh. That's an interesting marketing word. Yes. 
So that means that uh, just perhaps uh, he was saying, I know you're going to bring in other, other classes. I, I, I understand that. And um, I was like, interesting. Now, somebody else you know, commented, well, what he really meant was we're going to give you other classes in Dragon Magazine. But here's the thing with the classes in Dragon Magazine. They're just for NPCs. Yep. <laughs> whatever yeah, for whatever, NPCs. whatever except, that man. Yeah, none of except us. Except for it. the thief acrobat <laughs> and the barbarian and the cavalier, which were previews of what was going to come up in uh, on Earth Arcana. And maybe the bard class from issue 56. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm really dating myself. Which was written to be an alternate bard class. Right. And it was a psionicus class, which I really did not. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to know that there was a, a demand for some sort of a bard revision after the 1978 Player's Handbook. It seemed so convoluted to a lot of folks, and I think they wanted something a bit more streamlined in the way the bard class would be rolled out for the players. Now, the bard has been revised multiple times over the years. It wasn't just Dragon 56 that revised it. And I always tend to go right for the 1978 version of the Bard and not to look at any of the revisions for that class. Right. Um, however, there was um, a set of rules, uh, uh, alternate rules, I should say, that came out called the AD&D Companion that compiles a lot of the old house rules from Dragon Magazine and some of Gary's writings from Legendary Adventures and Dangerous Journeys after TSR unceremoniously gave him the boot in 1985. Some of the stuff that is written for the Bard class in that Advanced Dungeons and Dragons companion is marvelous, especially the spells. They give, finally, the Bard class Bard spells. There's this cantata, there's this sonata, there's this... It's, it's, it's all musically related, and it all makes wonderful sense with material spell components and verbal and somatic casting components, casting times, duration, area of effect. It's all there, finally, for the bard class. And that's wonderful, and it's nice to see and sometimes used from time to time. But I still always just go back to the 1978 very first bard. Maybe it's not the most perfect version of the bard's class, but I don't need things to be perfect. Well, I'm I'm about as imperfect of a person as can be. Here's so. the thing, I, and I'll be honest with you. I I, I think that the bar class in the back of the uh, player's handbook is fine if you were rolling it as a standalone class. If you didn't have to be a fighter who changed to a thief, who changed to a bard. And that's fine. And, and a DM can absolutely yeah. totally do that and absolutely totally get away with it. It's fine. Because remember, that player's handbook is just uh, a handbook. It's not right. a rule book. No, so don't I make agree. that distinction. Well, because part of the thing was is that you, you can only do a class. You can't triple class, but that requires triple only class. If you, only if you're going to play raw, my friend. Now remember, but that was, yeah. again, it was, that that is a class put into the rule book right. that should be following the rules as written. Well, now you're saying the word rule book, my friend, but it's a it's a handbook. All Help right. me out here, Mike. Oh, all right, all right. <laughs> quibble, quibble, quibble. Uh, also, the DMG is a guidebook. It's not a rule book. Here we go again. You don't need the same stats that you would normally need to change class, which I is know. another uh, 
derision. But we can argue this out. You see, <laughs> this is what people want to see. At this is what talking crit is all about. Yeah. With arguments. Arguments over game rules. These aren't arguments. This is discussions. No, this is all discussions. Discussions over game rules that are 40 years old. I... My favorite thing about the 1978 part is, are are you ready? It is that you have to level up X amount of levels fighter and then, or thief, and then you have to X up, uh, level up X amount of uh, druid levels or whatever it is. And then you can become your first level bard. Isn't that the most fun thing about that bard class, the way it's all laid out? It's so forward thinking. Compare compare that up against all other character classes presented in the 1978 Player's Handbook and tell me that the bard class, you could make an argument for Monk, but we'll say that the bard class is the most ahead of its time character class oh, in the first prestige that player's class, handbook. I guess you could say. Absolutely. It was what we got in the what, third edition? Pathfinder, it's like, ah, oh, okay. Uh, I, I, I need, to, I need to plan my character out in advance. Right. I gotta. I, I, oh, I, I, and I still remember reading an article about how to min-max the bard, and, <laughs> and whether it was best oh, to take the shortest number of levels uh-huh. as fighter and thief, or to take the maximum levels. And what and then, was the what was the best use of your experience points? Because remember, when a when you become the bard, your experience points table is back down to. I don't know, fifteen hundred or whatever hell it was, <laughs> nothing. So it's like, and you're gonna, you're gonna level, no matter what you do, so long as your character is breathing. One hey, of- I've got a question about experience points for you guys. Okay, we okay. lied. My question about experience points for Eric and Mike is: In your adventures, do you have your characters auto level when they have enough XP, or are you the guy who's going to make them go find somebody to train them? Auto level, I think training, I've always had an issue with that. I thought it was dumb when I first read it. Okay. I, when I was a kid, I'm reading that, and this is to me how forced it was. I'm like, this is not, I don't, this is forced. This is, this is a, this is something to control players. This isn't something that helps you play the game better. This is something right. that you're using to basically drain money off characters. That's all it exists for. It exists to drain funds from characters. And it's so obvious and hitting you over the head with the club saying it that I just, I was embarrassed to read it as a kid thinking, why did Gary put this in there? This is so obviously just something to suck gold yeah. from characters. And so, no, we never did that. That oh, was, no, that we was did the- it initially. We, we ran as written because that's what you did. And then we started dropping rules, and the first rules that we dropped was uh, weapon speed because we didn't really fucking understand it. And we <laughs> we never even uh, attempted to use the weapon versus weapon AC for armor adjustment. versus AC. Yeah. Oh, we never even attempted that shit. Mm-hmm. It was that was gone before we even like you know started. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, I can guess. Had- I can guess what else never uh, never lasted with you guys either. The grappling rules. Oh no, we didn't. No, we, we, didn't yeah. we weren't allowed to grapple. I still don't know those, how those. You, work. you could not. You uh, you could not use unarmed combat because that was a rule system that <laughs> did not match any other. No, you could it, listen. Either killing it or you're walking away. Okay. Maybe some dual damage, but no, no unarmed combat. Uh, w- what else was an issue with us back then? Psionics. Oh no! Uh, well, yeah. no, we really wanted psionics until they got it, and then it was like. 
Uh, uh, maybe I don't want this so much anymore. Yeah, I don't know if I fully understand it right now. I go, I know I don't understand it at all. Segment, that was a little over my head at the segments, time. I was really young. left us pretty early, too, with spell interruptions. It was kind of like, okay, start counting. It's like, all right, listen, one round just lasted as 25 minutes at the table. It's a group of three players. Yeah, yeah. I think we hey, that's the DM's fault. You got to move these things along. Yeah, so certain things had to get hand waves, but we never called it house rules. Never did. Well, that's interesting about the experience points and the leveling up. With us, we play with no water leveling. That's outlawed. Um, we play with something also called vanishing XP. Vanishing experience points means that the DM can take experience points away from players really? in vast in vast quantities if the following situation occurs. If you get enough XP to level up one time, but you decide, ah, fuck it, I don't feel like training. I want to go and adventure some more. Great, you can go and do that. Okay, now you've got enough XP to level up two times. Oh, boy, now what are you going to do? Oh, man, I don't know. What should I do? Well, consider this. If you decide to go and train, now that you have enough XP to level up twice, you're only going to level up once. And all other XP that you've accumulated that would have put you up a second level vanishes, gone. You get reduced to one XP below the second level up. So that's as high up as you're going to go. You're going to hit that ceiling with us. That's the vanishing XP mechanic. What do you think of that? That's why I don't, that's why I allow auto leveling. Cause that I, I don't like any rules that are, that are to seem to me to, to be big daddy, Gary telling me, the, I'm the boss, and you're you're not you're and you're, you're a nothing. I'm the boss, and <laughs> you're the boss of now. you. I don't care if you're having fun or not. That, that, that's why I don't use. Uh, I also don't use level drain either, because that's also like ah, I'm gonna hit just for fun. Your ninth level character is gonna get hit five times with a vampire. You're gonna be first level. How do you like that? Ha ha ha! <laughs> this is why hell? people. This is why yeah. people create stables of five or six characters. And when one is ready to go train, he goes and trains, and you roll out your next one. And if someone dies, well, then you say a moment of oh, silence, well, I mean, and you I, roll I, out I'm your next one. I'm actually okay with character death. Character death is preferable to losing oh. levels on any. You ask any player, oh, they absolutely. Really just absolutely be die. Yeah. Just, uh, just kill me. Is. Just please kill me. Don't drain my levels. Oh my god, please don't drain my levels. Just kill me. Level so. train is a big deal. I know. Let, let me let me die a heroic death as opposed to <laughs> withering not, away first level, first level now. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, yeah. That's, it, that's it, how you deny someone Valhalla. Yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> how do you, how do you want to die? Well, I you know want to die at the you know at the height of my life. No, I want to die, crippled old man, in a hospital bed with IVs in me. No, that's like being low. No, no, no. I got rid of. I got rid of. I used to use level drain probably till eighty five, eighty six, and I, the reason I got rid of it, I had a specific game when a friend of mine who'd never played D anD D always wanted to play, and we finally got him to play with us. And this is not a D anD D type guy; just a regular guy, just wanted to play. And he started playing this halfling fighter, and he loved his character, and he was doing, and he was just loved the game. He's like, "This is a, such a great game! I can't believe that you know I'd never played this." And they, I think they went to Bone Hill or somewhere. There's a wraith, 
And so they're in there and all the other characters say a wraith and they just start running because they don't want to get their levels drained. They're like, you know, third or fourth level. And he, yeah, doesn't, you got know all that. he doesn't know where everybody's running. He's like, well, I've got a magic sword. I'm going to attack it. Can I kill it? I said, like, a magic sword? Well, yeah, I probably heard it. And so he attacks this wraith. I think he was like fourth level at the time. He gets hit a few times. And by the end of the fight, he's killed the wraith, but he's first level. And so we're trying to explain to him that he's lost all this experience that he's gained over the past few months. <laughs> And just to look on his face, and he was just so disappointed. Like I said, he'd never played D&D before, and he was just like, that's like the worst thing you could do to my character. Because <laughs> yeah. like, he, he knew if you died, you could just get raised for the dead. He's like, what? That Good is the worst you. thing. And, he also, and I said, you know what? As of right now, that we're, we're not going to do level. And so what I do now is Constitution Drain, which is somewhat the same. It's not quite the same. You, you, you lose any extra bonuses you may have from the constitution, like hit points and stuff, right. but you can get it back through rest. And if you rest, a, I think it's like a month per constitution point, but it won't take away something like experience points that you've worked so hard for, especially when you're low level. And like I said, just the look of this guy's face was just so devastating because he had this great character. He loved it. And he was like having this great time. And then after that, he's not having a good time. He's like, I'm first level again. Everybody's fourth level. Oh, hey, you know, I, it's adversity. From adversity comes growth. We all know this. It's no, good. but that is no true. But that. I, also, I don't want. I don't want to scare a player away. I don't want to have it's you know having say, oh, I, I played D and D, but it's I left tricky. because my my character was fifth level and now he's first. And so you know, and I, mean, I have a question about ways. taking constitution points away. Do you do you also take con points away when characters don't eat food? Because I do. I make sure that's, they lose a con point every day they don't eat. Oh, that's a really good idea. I've never oh, done yeah. that before. That's that, that's very lost. I've done that. That's a great idea. But again, I, I, I'm the asshole DM that using those random weather charts that were in what issue 68, <laughs> 69 of my, my 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 party died in the way that on the way to Hamlet. They died. Oh. They died. <laughs> in, Tornado. They died in a fucking blizzard. I was like. How anticlimactic! Yeah. You're terrible. Yeah, like, You're a terrible. I, I, thought, I was like, I guess I'm not using weather charts anymore because. <laughs> How did your party die? We fought a red dragon. How did your party die? We fought the Lich King. How did your party die? Well, we got so, caught outside. We froze, to death. we froze to death from my Oh, that's not heroic at all. The storm dropped three and a half feet of snow, and I was in plate mail. <laughs> oh, geez. Sucks to be you, sir. DM says snow falls. Everybody's frozen. And that's yeah. the end. <laughs> you're, you're gone. Sorry, man. The dice. The dice have spoken. It's not our fault. Yeah, it's the dice's fault, man. Not, never the DM's fault. Well, yeah, yeah you got to take those. You got to shave off those con points when people don't eat. They mm -hmm. seem to think that they can go around here and there all the time without food. Well, my, 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 my players are pretty good about it. we we hand wave a lot of stuff, and, and as long as they have rations in their or iron rations or rations in their uh, backpack, I usually now if they're somewhere and it's been a week, I'm going to say okay. You're out of rations and water. What are you doing at this point? And the, either right. the cleric's going to have to create food and water. They're going to do something. So I don't entirely hand wave it, but there's a lot of things like that. I probably don't keep track of torches and arrows as much as I should. I mean, yeah, if they're in a battle and they fired 40 arrows, I'm going to say, how many arrows do you got in your quiver there? You're, I know, you're, right? You're running right. out at this point. About this time you're running out. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, I didn't fire a whole bunch of arrows. So, but, but for the it's most part. It's fun when stuff runs out, though. That's the fun stuff for yep. the DM. Well, if my party flees, it's like I, I do the random. All right, well, let's see what you dropped as you left. And now you're not going to drop your main weapon. Maybe you maybe you fled and you had to drop your bag. Well, your bag had already food. And, uh, I'm sorry, man. But we you dropped your water skins because of the heaviest thing you had on you. We just so, had a situation where a, a player 
whose mage was fighting a Darrow. They were flying in the air. They were zapping each other with wands. Uh, the Darrow paralyzed him. He fell like 30 feet to the ground and or something. And he hits the ground. And the guy finds him. I said, you know, you probably dropped your wand. And he's like, oh, can I roll a saving throw? I said, yeah. And he dropped his wand. <laughs> but I mean, it made sense. Like you're falling right. 30 feet in the air. You hit the ground. You you know, you roll a few times. But, you know, you're probably going to drop your wand. And, and you know like, what? No, if, if that wand on. is made of wood, he might have to make a, an item save Ooh. versus crushing blow against wood. Right. <sighs> I didn't think about well, the, the, ca the cavern erupted in a volcanic blast like ten rounds later, so it didn't. Well, so then yeah, yeah, somebody yeah. dragged somebody dragged him out. He said, "Wouldn't the fighter look for a wand?" He go, "He's a fighter. He's not looking for your wand. He's dragging your ass out of there before you die." And so, yeah, he, yeah. he was mourning that last session. He's like, "I guess my wand's gone, isn't?" It? I was like, "Unless you want to go back to the volcanic cavern and look Wait, for it." I, 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 DM, I yeah. always prefer to. Uh, it was I'm not saying more fun, but it certainly. It was better to remove something from a player that they were attached to than to remove their levels. They can always – and you think about it. It's like, well, I can always re-level, right? No, no, no. That's, that's totally different. It's, it's, a, it's a weird mechanism. I mean, yeah. level drain is such an odd mechanism and, and because there's nothing else really like it in the game in terms of – you know, a character screw over and and a lot of, i mean look I, i've talked to rob Kuntz and tim and all these guys before and and yes gary puts stuff in there just to screw players i mean this is just going to screw you i mean he would just do that and and so there's things in there that you're like why is this like this it's because like i mean why is there a rust monster because characters had all this gear they had tons of gear gary got tired of it and said guess what i'll make a monster eat your armor and your sword and whatever that way a fighter can't just beat the hell out of it you're gonna have to think your way out of this and there was there's i i get really antsy about not really antsy but i i am ambivalent about using to me monsters that are just obvious character screws like like a, a rush boss monster. And rush monsters are fun. I mean, don't get me wrong; they're hilarious because you know, rush monster walks in, all the fighters start, ah! they're hauling ass down the hallway. But you know, there's a lot of things you can see in there in the game, and you say, okay, this was just put in here because Gary had a character that did X, and because right. X, and he did, and that's what he talked. Like I said, talked to Tim, talked to Rob, those guys. That's exactly what he did. If a character did X too much, Gary got tired of it and said, okay, I'm going to do Y back at you. So now, when you do X, guess what? Y is waiting for you, and that's why monsters like trappers existed because they wouldn't search rooms good enough lurkers above because they wouldn't look on the ceiling i mean all a lot of these monsters that seemed to occupy really odd ecosystems came as a result because gary was tired of his players doing one thing or another and not getting punished for it so guess what mimics you know what a mimic is a mimic is you know you're you're being really cavalier about rolling over to the to the uh the chest and just you know yep. bashing it open. Well, guess what? Next time you bash it open, it's going to bash you back because it's Gotta not a love the mimic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I do love mimics. Mimics are fun. Now mimics are fun too. But but see, monsters like that to me, while they're kind of a character screw, they occupy an ecological niche and. And characters should be watching out for them. That's what they should watch out for. I, I don't like things like there's there's a monster in Second Edition that's absolutely ridiculous. It's called the Disenchanter. And I, I guess oh, I think it's like this big anteater and it just touches your magic item and it drains all the power out of there. Why the fuck would you do that to your board player characters? Just have this monster exist for no other reason than to suck out their magic items unless you have a party that has too many magic items. So it's obvious why Ed Green right. created the character. He had he was running a party one day. He's like, God, these guys are loaded. I gotta do something about this. 
the disenchanter. I'll make an aardvark. It's going to look really stupid looking, so they're just going to walk up to hit it, and next thing you know, all their armor and weapons and everything is going to be sucked of magic. So I, I'm, I'm real... I don't like to use monsters like that because I just, I, like I said, I think it's... You must have I mean, a deck of many things, I'll use that because the players can choose to walk away from a deck of many things. They can say, nope, we're, I'm out of here. But a disenchanter, and you know, you put it in a dungeon, you're like, okay, I want, I, you're very, you're very openly saying, I'm going to get rid of your magic items here. So just, you know, buckle up. Uh, you're, 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 you're also, you know, nobody says, I'm out of here when you put a deck of many things in front of them. I mean, yeah. not oh, yeah. lie to me, Mike. How many should I draw? You know, three or four. Sure. So, yeah. Just players are by their nature gamblers. I mean, I, I told you, I ran out Rappanathic and I had a, the campaign ended after two and a half sessions of magical slot machines. That ended, <laughs> that ended the campaign. It was going great before that. Oh, they well. found it. Two and a half set. It was one session, and then one player, Joe the lawyer, missed that session. So he comes in the next session and goes, Oh shit, magical slot machines. This is cool. And then they summoned like fucking demon or two. Don't you love the slot machines in the 1979 Dungeon Master's Guide? Isn't that a great little fun part of that book? <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. So it's just like, All right. I was like, All right, well, dude, that's like, uh, not quite a TPK, but we're down to like, you know, two survivors. So what? So what? What's a new campaign next week? I'm like, I guess so. Well, the game I ran for um for North Texas this year, it was um it was so my regular campaign group. So it was it was a really weird setup. My regular campaign group met and we invited five other players, and so they all were first level people, and they were all hirelings of the higher level characters. So they just entered they entered the campaign, not really knowing what was going on, and then they just met them in a bar. We're going to hire you. We're going to this dungeon. So they just continued their regular campaign. My brother, my friend Doug, my friend John, and then they five more players came in. Um, I'm, I'm, you're going to get mad. Oh, Chris Dodge was one of them, but I'm, you're going to I can't believe I can't remember everybody's name, but anyway, so they go through this dungeon at the end just for fun. I put a deck of many things because deck of many things are fun, and I have a little, yeah. I have a little deck of many things. Well, was here on this. I have a little deck of many things, and so all three of the regular characters said, "We ain't touching that." They, they all just Mwah, backed up. So of course, all five of the first level guys go, "We have nothing to lose. We're doing one shot yeah. characters," and they all got really bad luck. Every card that was dropped was a bad card, and they nice. were so bad. They drew so many bad cards that the three regular characters were like, "You know, there's not a lot of bad cards left no, in the deck anymore. Yeah. We should start drawing." They, they were actually contemplating drawing because the void had been drawn, the oh, life, life had thrown, I mean, all the bad, every bad card had been drawn. They're like. Hmm, our risk assessment here is that the chances are we'll get, get something yeah, really oh, good. Oh, it, was so it was a great way to end that session because it was a, it was a convention game and the, the they weren't going to play those characters anymore. No, so they just all. So when I wrote up the character, the, the, uh, every um, session we ha we have a Facebook page. We write you know session thirteen, session twelve, whatever. So I wrote it up and just wrote up all their deaths. Due to one guy fought a, a grim reaper de death that killed him. Another guy. Uh, he turned to a lycanthrope, and he lost all his treasure, and then something else. I mean, it was just, it was insane. So it, it was it was great, but I just thought it was funny that all three of the veteran players, they almost kind of pushed away from the table, like, uh, yeah, I think not gonna that touch deck is so much fun that I think it should appear at least once a year in an adventure that 
either you, Eric, or you, Mike, run, no matter where it is or who it's with. <laughs> oh, once I, I a year out of the week. I had a fun time with that. And I have the little uh, decks of any things that Analog Gaze put out several years ago. Um, and so I have a, I have one. I just keep around. I wish I got one of those. I've heard about those. I'll, I'll, I'll mail you one, Tim. Just just uh, contact me afterwards. Uh, and, oh, uh, nice. I might, I might as well throw this in there. That the, the, the guy who uh, created it uh, passed away a few weeks ago. My friend Eddie Cortrell uh, passed away. And um, unfortunately, uh, he was our age, and he had an unexpected heart attack. So I, I, I uh, miss Eddie. Sorry but, to hear that. So, yeah, but but yeah. Anytime you use the deck, he is the character of the wizard. And also the character of the idiot. He did. He did that on purpose because. Oh um, well, listen. So that's his, face, that's, that's his face. That's his face on the pictures when you look at that. Oh, picture. I he's see what you idiot. mean. Yeah, he's the face of the wizard. and He's the face of the idiot. So, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll send you a copy, Tim. It, it's it's a great. It, it's the the, the art man. on it. And I um I kind of it's kind of sad because uh, he had the rights. He bought. He had the full rights to the analog deck. I don't know what's going to happen to it now because he's passed away and um. um I think the last printing of them, I want to say, was 2014 or 16. I mean, there's probably not a left, not a lot out there just floating around. So it's it's it's, it's a great, you know, it's a great uh, device for just sowing chaos in games. I mean, I, normally that's not my bag, but man, that is the perfect example of you're going to kill yourself right here. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to have my hands perfectly clean. I didn't do right. anything. You did this all yourself. That's yeah. true. So it's pull great. the card, but pull the card. Yeah, I got my deck around here somewhere. I think uh, Ian McCarthy uh, gave me a copy. He bought like 10 for me once and he gave them out to people. Yeah. Because he was just so, Ian Ian's the guilty party on that yeah, one. He just, he likes to sell right. I have my 1979 DMG handy. And I can find the page that the deck of many things is on real quick. No trouble at all. But here's my um, challenge to you right now, Mike and Eric. Yes. Do you have a deck of 52 playing cards handy? Oh, I you know not. that? He probably uh, uh, No, I... God. He has I, one actually, trip I actually got a Star Wars deck in the mail today, but I don't know where it is. I'm going to have to step away from the virtual screen and see if it's in the kitchen because I don't remember. Do I have a deck? All right. Well, just for fun, we're going to see what cards you pull from it today right now. Oh, dear. Uh, Oh dear. I, I, I could just give you a random card because I don't know what they how they match up to the deck of many things. I have no clue. Okay, that'll be plenty. Oh, wait, wait, hold on, because I'm not gonna. I'm definitely not gonna say Ace of Spades. Never mind. I, I might as well just pick cards because you're right. Ace of Spades. Ace of Spades. Yeah. I'm Nobody not, wants to avoid. Yeah, I'm not pulling Ace of oh, Spades. Oh, actually, hey, look at that. Hold on a second. All right. Let me uh, get this. Got your deck of cards. Do you have your deck? Do you have deck of many things there? Or is that no? The, I have a deck of oh, many cards. Okay. Right. Like, what are you going to do with a deck of Star Wars playing cards? We're going to – it's an experiment. We're going to see how unlucky we are. Right, right. Let's see or, if or lucky, or lucky. Unlucky or lucky. We don't know. Here we go. All yeah. right, Eric. Uh, no, hold on draw, a second. You have to draw at least three. We're going to say everybody has to draw three. So you have to, you have to draw three. Now, remember, this deck, though, is not – it's literally, literally, listen to that. The wrapping is coming off. All right. You got to oh, shuffle that bad boy. Oh yeah, yeah. You better shuffle. And while so, you shuffle that, I'm just so, going to take a, a a one minute break for myself. I'll be right back. So, well, so my, see, my my level eighteen paladin because Tim's out out there and and, and Mike, you got to make sure Eric shuffles those cards good. Okay, shuffle those cards. Oh wow, good. you know what? This is a hard deck to read, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's got Star Wars. Hey, excuses. 
it's got Boba Fett. Uh, Boba Fett's on the. Oh, you know, that's, that's, that's awesome. You know, it's got oh, Boba okay. Fett on it. But uh, man, if I was playing poker with this shit, I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, it's a winning hand. Look, I've got." Four aces. Oh no, you can't read it. It's one of those hard to read ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I like the uh, ones with the really big numbers and the really big suits because yes, my eyesight's about crapped out. So I must say, this is an interesting uh, thing that Timbers thought thought up. And then after that, we will we will give our 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 listening public a break because. My God, we are going to set a record on this. Oh dear, we we have set a record. So, well, we'll do this and call and call it a call it a weekend or call it a week. Yeah. After after we do this, we'll call this week. I didn't realize we right, so far. I was having so much fun here, man. I didn't realize right. we've gone over. Okay, so here we go, Eric. You got to draw three. All right, my drawing needs three cards for me or for you. You're gonna draw three for you and three for me. So do do. All you, right. So my so we'll do me first. My fifth, my 18th level paladin walks up there and. Even though his Ten, wisdom, even though his wisdom's eighteen, he's still going to draw three cards. Ten of hearts. He's had a bad week. He just needs something to pick him it's up. It's a heart. It has to be good, right? Mm-hmm. The right cards are good. Let's see, ten oh. of hearts. The ten of hearts actually is not going to give you any results. So keep drawing. What you're looking for oh. here is either a face card or an ace. Oh, okay. Oh. So keep right. going. Get a face the card. Ten of clubs is no good. Oh dear. Jack of diamonds. Well, now we have a result. The Jack of Diamonds is the star card. You immediately gain two points on your major ability. I heard he, I already had 18 wisdom. Now I got a 20 wisdom. I'm smart as a god. But even though I'm go. smart as a god, I still draw two cards, which is stupid. But I'm I'm All you right. know I, I'm I'm filled with hubris now. So I'm just like oh, we okay. skipped the nine, we skipped the two. Okay. Uh wait a second, you're a paladin, aren't you? Yes. Isn't charisma your major ability? Yeah, I have, they're both eighteen, so you know I, I, I'm gonna we'll say that. Gonna, you, okay, so you now have the wisdom of a god, <laughs> and with the, wisdom, go. with the wisdom, wisdom of a god, god. you are going to I unwisely pull a card. Here we go. All right, all right, queen of hearts, dude. Queen of hearts. Okay, queen of hearts. Okay, are you ready for this? You have drawn the card that is the key. Mm. This means you gain a treasure map plus one magic weapon. Well, well, I already have enough magic. All right, ten of diamonds. Oh, king of hearts. Oh, dear. the king of hearts. This is the throne card. You gain a charisma of eighteen, and you gain a small keep. Well, my my paladin came out of that pretty good. He's got a, now he's got a twenty wisdom. His his charisma's already eighteen, and he's got a yep. key and a treasure map. So he All walks right. off and says, "Okay, Eric, your eighteenth level thief now has to draw three cards." All right, eighteenth level thief Jack assassin. of clubs again. I know the dark cards oh, are uh, no oh. good. You're a Jack thief. of clubs. Yeah, that's not really a great one. The Jack of Clubs, what does that do for you, my friend? Well, that is the skull card. This means that you must now defeat death or oh, be forever no. destroyed. I I'm going to take that Jack of Clubs and give you a Queen of Clubs. Yeah, just, just draw real quick, and that maybe something will help you. But Yeah, maybe. Queen of Clubs. You're oh, going to try to draw another card real, real quick before death can roll for initiative? Is that <laughs> yeah. what's going on here? Queen of Clubs. <laughs> I'll give you 25 experience points right now if you drop that deck, stop pulling cards, and deal with death. No, no, no. We, I'll give you 26 we, experience points. Okay, Bob Barker. I, I, okay. I dropped my little nuts. Buddy Hall, Buddy Hall, does. 
The next card you pull is the what? Queen of Clubs, which I know is even worse. Mm. Queen of Clubs? Oh, boy. Have you just jumped out of the walk into the frying pan and then into the fire? Is this the culinary triple Oh, dear. QC, you have just pulled the flames card. Oh, well. Oh, your soul. There is now an enmity between you and a devil. It doesn't specify which devil. So if you de- if you defeat the death, yeah, the devil's gonna hate you too. This uh, is I love, so, this is great. All right, so wait, wait. I got one more card. So right before assuming, the death, assuming, the death gonna take him down. Oh, oh so there we go. That's it. Game over, motherfuckers. Game over. Ace of spades. Ace of clubs. Oh, oh Ace of Clubs. Oh, well, you've just pulled the idiot card. Now, you lose <laughs> 1d4 points of intelligence. And it also says, it goes on to say that you may draw again. Oh, well, then I will. It can't hurt you at this point. Yeah, you, you're about to die. You're about on. to die horribly. So. Uh, yeah. Oh, Ace of Diamonds. Well, okay, some might help you there. There you go. You may have something good happen to you. This something is quite good. My paladin's praying for you, right, by the way. You have pulled the Vizier card, and you know the answer to your next dilemma. <laughs> so you know how you're going to get away from a minor death attacking you and a devil hating you. You're, you're, that is you're, your next dilemma. Yeah, that's, that's very close to that. That dilemma is happening right now. So yes. So, so I never. So, so now that you know the answer, why don't you share that answer with us? Uh, my next dilemma is uh, uh, eat heart healthy and watch my carbs. Yeah. Yeah. The death goes, oh, that should that. add uh, 44, 46 years to my life. Death walks away defeated because he can't he can't fight good heart health. So uh, this death was gives uh, you a wink and a smile and a wave. Yeah, this, this uh, was the uh, hey, uh, spend a dollar extra and we'll throw some random shit in your shipment. Uh, John Infield says, "My might be so bad. The devil could be hot stuff. He's not too tough. <laughs> I'm not into the devil. Monster Manual. That page was one that was dog-eared. Ian White has the death hits first automatically. Yeah, you, well... That that was actually fun, and I can't believe that's probably the best I'll ever I'll ever pick in my life. And Eric was picking for me, so you thank did you, great You're there, Mike. I fucking my, suck picking for me. My paladin will pray for your thieves' uh, eternal soul as the devil comes after you. Actually, I, I'm I'm obligated to protect you, so I'll. I'll well, I'll, there we I'll go. See that that's good. I'll you know? fight with you. What can I say? Uh, Tim, what is the best way folks can find the Benchwardale Academy? The best way to find the Benchledale Academy is to jump on Facebook in terms of do a search where, for and just do a search for Benchledale and beyond. We have a public Facebook page and where you can drop us a line and say, hey, I'm interested in joining the Academy. The Academy is a private page. I you just found be, it. It's that easy, folks. It's that quickly. You can be invited in. Um, but uh, it is not a page that you'll find because it is secret. It's like a secret society, man. Ooh. Um, but find the public Benchlet Allen Beyond Facebook page and drop us a line through there. And then we can usher you in to the next pathway, which is Benchlet Allen Academy, which is a whole lot of fun. You sent a message. I want to join the Academy. So, you know, this so is like one of those chicks tracks. This is how you get sucked in. Yeah. You know, you watch it. And then you get invited into private. Benchlet yeah. Allen. 
Where they virtually sacrificed animals. Virtually. (laughs) Well, there are no sacrifices of that nature going on here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do do sacrifice boredom on the altar of fun. There you go. I'm going to tell you flat out, folks, uh, I I used to game with Tim face-to-face every other Thursday out in Long Island. And it was a fucking blast, and uh, the group was solid, as solid as can be. Uh, was anybody normal? I know I wasn't, but everybody was. It was a solid gaming group, and uh, really hit all cylinders. So, I thank Tim for joining us. I yeah, thank thanks, you for, Tim. We had a great time. That, yeah, yeah, man. Thank you for having me. Over, but I'm five when I start going. Holy shit, man! Does this thing record for two hours? I have oh, no fucking. Dear. We're coming up on that. I, I want to thank everybody who uh, listened live. We still have a few people left that are living, that are listening, and I do appreciate it. Thanks for uh, staying with us for two hours. We didn't know we got you. We had a great time. So yes, uh, Tim, we will have you back at some point because I know there's 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 more stories of your time at Jones Beach. Oh, uh, more stories oh. and more stories. And maybe yes. maybe Jenry, Jimi Hendrix is alive somewhere. We haven't heard that story yet, so you have to yes. tell us. Uh, ah. as, as, as we have stated in the past, we tell you guys this. Uh, it is a hex crawl. It is a sandbox. We did not come into this with a preordained uh, beginning and an end. We, I don't know how the tip works. What the hell? <laughs> this is uh, you know railroad. This is called live. I don't yeah. know how my definitely on. Good, right, man. I had turned the. I, I can't blame the fucking cat. I was like, what the hell? But uh, see, wow, and we don't, and we don't edit. So fuck you all. Uh, wow. this, this is what you pay for. Oh wait, my it's man, free. it's free. Hey. But uh, I'm a potty mouth, retired New York City cop, so I, I make up for the cursing that Mike does not do. I'm a pious man. He's, he's a pious Texan, mm-hmm. and I am uh, one of them evil. F- Let the fucks enemies. flow, man. Let the fucks flow. That's what I say. Let the fucks flow. There you go. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. I saw the Ramones alive numerous times, and I, I don't even remember the opening band that was playing that. I was just like, I'm afraid there's people crowd surfing. <laughs> My friend I went with. Kenny is crowd surfing. What the fuck? <laughs> and my other friend is hiding in the bathroom, locked behind uh, the stall door. So, uh, mm. good times. All right, folks. Uh, as always, we're, we are in the midst of the world of COVID. Use your common sense. Uh, if you can't figure out what common sense is, talk to a medical professional. Ignore the talking heads on TV. And don't listen to any of the three of us because we're not medical professionals. But, so, you know, again, common sense is your friend. Be safe, be well, God bless. Roll your dice well. God willing, I'll be back with you all tomorrow. Mike and I will be back next week, God willing, with Joe the lawyer, who uh, was nice enough to kill his computer with a cup of coffee. Um, (laughs) I almost killed this very fucking laptop with uh, a spilled drink. But, uh, I made a saving throw, so I've been making good saves this year. Uh, Let's keep it that I don't need to make any more. All right? All right. Thank you, Tim. Really, uh, this was good times had by all, y'all. Thanks, y'all. Goodbye. All right.